Hey, thanks for listening with Sanctuary. We're excited to grow in the knowledge of Jesus with you. Now let's get into the Word. Somebody said, Amen. Living for what lasts is what we've kind of been talking about. Living for what lasts. But I want to talk about uh, living this morning for what matters. Living for what matters. Living for what lasts. Uh, I don't know about you, but it seems like life just gets faster and faster. And how many ever have ever had to tell yourself to slow down? You right? Have you ever had one of those moments uh, where your brain just couldn't compute all the things that you had to do or responsibilities or expectations or, or deadlines. I found myself in that place in the last couple of weeks, uh, and especially this week, just multiple times I had to cultivate the presence of God. I was on the way, uh, coming to and from, picking the kids up from school, and just driving down the road, just telling my brain, stop. Stop. Use too much. I can't keep up with you. Uh, this is ridiculous of all the things. And just to say, God, I need to invite you into this moment. I need to think your thoughts and have your presence and the peace that passes understanding. I need to just invite you, Lord, what are your plans? What do you want to do this week? I know I have my agenda. I have all my to-do list. I have sticky notes within sticky notes. And, and that's just me. I'm an OCD kind of a person. But sometimes we get so busy, and I wonder uh, at times I'm asking myself, Heath, does this really matter in light of eternity? There's a lot of things in the moment I feel like, well, this is really matters. I want to do this with excellence. This is what I got to get done this week. This is, this is my to-do list. I got to do this with the kids and this at home and get that put up in the shed. And I got to get this done. And then, oh, with, with ministry, I got to do this. And even with good things like church stuff and ministry stuff, to ask myself, does this matter in light of eternity? Does this really matter? Is this what God thinks is important? Uh, in the weekly grind... Do you ever find it hard to keep the big picture? For example, you may have a moment, you're preparing that dish or that meal, and it didn't turn out with right, and it just right, and you got upset, and maybe you kind of ruined the evening for other people, and they didn't really care, but you did. Or maybe uh, that appointment, you're waiting in maybe that doctor's office, it took longer than it was supposed to, you arrived, of course, early, and they were behind because of la, 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 and you just irritated the fire out of you. But you know what? You really didn't have anywhere more important to be, or you really weren't going to be late for anything. But it's still, we let it affect us. We let it bother us. We let it irritate us. It could be sometimes that our kids break something in the house, and we lash out. But it was really something that would probably have been thrown away in a couple of years anyway. Uh, but it's because in that moment, it mattered to you. Uh, go in contrast to that, you might spend all your free time investing in a hobby or occupied on a project, working overtime while your kids quietly grow up. It could be the endless dribble of TV and social media and robs the intimacy of our marriage. And so when those challenges and those temptations come, we're quicker to fail. No, even those, though, aren't eternal things. Eternal things. You know, the Bible teaches us that everything that man focuses on will, be lo will not last. From our opinions to how we structure our life to, uh, in society to the purpose that we create for ourselves, to all that we build up, all that we set our eyes on, and life's challenges. In this life, nothing is permanent. Everything changes. And whether you're young or old, whether you are rich or poor, educated or uneducated, 
None of us get to choose if we get a good life or a bad life. None of us get to choose if things turn out for us like we want them to turn out for us. See, strength and beauty fades, wealth passes away. Even a great name that you build up for yourself can be forgotten in a generation. How many people know the great-great-great-grandfather's name in your family? Very few of us know. Past just a couple of generations, the names of our family. You know, even when you get to that moment, the identity, I said this last week, of son or daughter, mother or father, grandpa or grandma, those identities will not last in eternity. Your marriage will not last in eternity. You'll not be male nor female, slave nor free. You won't be married. We'll be like the angels, the Bible says. So how do you live for what matters? How do you live for what lasts? Uh, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is looking at this moment, and he wants to know the meaning of life and how does, what, it, what matters in life, and he's chasing everything. He says, everything I've chased is like the wind. It's all vanity of vanities. I found out that nothing lasts. It's like grasping the wind. Nothing is certain. We all go from dust to dust, and in that moment, he finds it out. I found out what really matters. He matters. Him. Him. We are all going to face eternity. So how do you live for what lasts? All right, look with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 9. You have eternity in your heart. And here's what he says at the beginning of his, of his uh, study in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 9. What has what gain has the worker from his toil? And I've seen in the business of God that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity. Somebody say eternity. He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. He says life can be a burden. So you should enjoy the gifts that God has given you, but you need to know what those gifts are. What has God given you in your station, in your position? He says you should learn to not be busy with all the fleeting things, the things that will fade away. There are things and gifts of life to men God has given us, and we should learn how to not be so focused on the things that don't matter and to enjoy the journey of life that God has. He's blessed you with life, and you should learn how to enjoy it. But at the end of the day, working hard and sleeping well, that is alone is not enough. It's not just enough to enjoy the life that, that this so many people try to grasp on. He says that man is busy with temporary things, but he has eternity in his heart. There's something in man that man knows he's not like every other creature. There's some immortal consciousness. There's some kind of identity that man knows he was created for more than temporary fleeting things. He was made for more than what everyone else in this world is pursuing. There's something in his heart that he's chasing after and he's yet to find it. We look at the world that they're chasing after so many things but they never find it. But God has put eternity in man's heart. So I'm going to give you five quick things. I can make a whole series on these five, but I'm going to give a very brief overview. Maybe one day God will let me do a study with you on it. Five really quick things that existed before creation and will exist in eternity. These are five things I think we can look and say, these are five things that will last, five things that will be in eternity. Number one is this, is language. 
Uh, beware of talking snakes. All right, that's the first lesson. Language. Beware of talking snakes. Language is something that's eternal. It was before creation, uh, and it will continue after. The devil spoke through a serpent. He used language to tempt man into disobeying God. So language is powerful. So we should be careful what we hear. Uh, that got, in, got us in trouble the first time. And we should be careful what we speak. Uh, James says, you know, the tongue is like a, a little rudder. It div- d- directs a ship, and that ship is your body. It says it's like a little flame that can ignite a whole forest that no man, no man, that's not God, no man can tame the tongue. And it's an evil thing. We, we speak both blessing and cursing out of the same mouth. And he says, my brothers, it shouldn't even be so. The tongue. There's a problem with the tongue. Jesus said, it's not what you put into the body, but what it proceeds from it. It's the tongue. It's the language you use. That's what defiles a man. Even to the degree in Matthew 12, uh, 36, Jesus says that every idle word you and I speak that we will give account of on the day of judgment. Whoo, buddy, that includes social media, by the way. I think God's recording, he's printing out our Facebook and our Instagram and our Snapchat. He's printing the feeds out. Everything that we speak idle, it will give account for. Why? Because language and words matter. Why does it matter? Because it's eternal. It was with a word that God spoke the world into existence. Think about it. A word. It was language. He spoke the word. It was uh, Adam was given the charge of naming the animals, even his wife. He had, was given the authority to speak what something would be. Even in the patriarchal days, all the, early ch- all the uh, ancient fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, spoke blessings over their children and called to be what they saw revealed by the Spirit. And it was so. They blessed their children, and it came to be. That's how they named them, by the Lord. It was a word of God given to them, and they spoke it to be. And their kids kids claimed that identity. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that He raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Somebody say amen. Confess with your mouth. What are you confessing? It was that same word that spoke the world into existence. That same word became flesh, and he spoke into our hearts. And that's the same word we are to be confessing today. Now, I'm not preaching name it, claim it, and I should get a Lamborghini, I'm going to confess it. That's not what I'm talking about. But there is something about the power of the tongue. The Bible says there's life and death in the power of the tongue. There, there's something about what we're speaking. For instance, your words matter. Slander and gossip matters. Calling people an idiot matters. You know, he says, if you call someone fool or raka, you'll give an account for that. That means I'm calling that person an idiot at the drive-thru, or, or they're cutting me off in, in the traffic, or my brother-in-law or sister, don't, never mind. Uh, you're calling people names. It says, you'll judge that. He'll judge you for that in eternity. That matters because you're speaking cursing over someone. All of the, how, what we speak over ourself matters. I'm no good. I can't do this. I don't know who I am. All these things matter. What we speak over our children, even in anger, what we call them to be matters. Our language matters. So we, what should we do? Speak the Word of God. Speak God's Word over yourself. Speak God's Word over your family. Speak God's Word over your children. Speak God's Word over your church members. Speak God's Word over those in-laws that irritate you to death. Speak God's Word. Pray for them. Prophesy over them. Speak God's Word because His Word never returns void. Amen? Number one, what you should live for 
language. How's your language? What are you confessing? What are you speaking? Because it matters before eternity and will matter in eternity. All right, number two is the order. The order. Since the fall of man, uh, we've tried to change the order of things. We've called evil good and good evil. We even try to call male, female, female, male now. And it tells you that the world is out of order. It's completely out of order. Uh, our lives are in chaos, yet God has set the order of things from the beginning. He called what physics would be, what science would be, what math would be, what biology would be. God has set the foundations of this earth, and He's set gravity to be gravity. It is, he's set the order. He's made it as such, and He's laid the foundations of the earth, the Bible says. And He's made the building blocks of life. He has made time and season. And Solomon says He's made everything beautiful in its, what? Time. And no one has ever stopped what God had to do. His order is His will. He says it as such, and no one can stop Him. Just ask Pharaoh, who tried to kill Moses, if you can stop God's order. Just ask Pharaoh if you can hold uh, God's people back. Just ask uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who turned into a wild man when he took God's people into exile. Just ask the Caesars of Rome, who tried to stamp out the church, if you can stop God's order. Come on, somebody. There's nothing that can stop what God says to be. It is so. And that's what He says. And second Peter 3, it says that some people think that God is slow, not concerning His purpose. They are ignorant of what He did from the foundation of the world. He called land out of water, and even He planned in advance to hide that water until the day of Noah's judgment. When the, he said he called forth the deep, he had preemptively prepared all that water. And Peter says the same is true. People don't understand that God has also stirred up a fire for judgment that was already in advance before he made the world. He knew there would be a day coming, and the day of the Lord is sure to come. People think he's slow, he's not concerning, but he is slow and he is patient for people to come to repentance. And no person, no man, no nation, no climate accord, nothing is going to stop when God says, Today's the day. Nothing can stop God's order. So you better build your life on the order of God. You better build your life on the foundation of God. Jesus showed us this more than any person at all. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done, and it will come, and it will be done. Because Jesus prayed it. Listen to me. That same word that spoke the world in existence, said, let there be light, came to this earth and said, God, at this place, may your will come down. And it will. It will. No man, no nation can stop his will. So how do you build your life? Paul says, live your life no longer for the things of the flesh, these temporary, these fleshly things, these timeless, these, these things that you try to grasp and they fade away. That's what Ecclesiastes is. Those things you try to grasp like the wind, but they fade away. Don't live your life for temporary, meaningless things, but for the will of God. Maybe today your life is in chaos, your marriage is out of order, it's out of whack, your kids are out of whack. Everything in your life seems to be on sinking and crumbling sand. Build your life on the rock. Build it on the bedrock of heaven. Build it on something that lasts for eternity. Look to the Bible how to build your marriage. Look to the Bible how to raise your kids. Look to the Bible how to handle those conflicts. Look to the Bible on how to have peace. Look to the Bible for serenity and joy. You don't have joy? Look to the Bible. These are the bedrocks that have built the earth. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? He says, these all will pass away, but these will remain forever. Faith, hope, and love. Those are eternal things. Those things are more certain than you or I. They're more certain than that bank account. So listen to me. How have you built your life, not on money and possessions, reputation, even hard work, even a good name will pass away, but have you built your life on love? 
Have you built it on faith? Have you built it on hope? That's number two. Number three is purpose. Stay with me. Purpose. Told you I could go a whole series just on each one. Purpose. Purpose is one of the foundations that will last. When God made man in his image, he gave him a purpose. Steward this garden. Steward this garden. Yet through this curse, our work became weary. Our purpose now had pain. And we can master all kinds of things, but like I said, our dreams will fade, our plans can fail, we all can suffer, and we will die. But the Bible says in Romans 8, 20, that God has a purpose in everything for those who fear Him. There is a purpose, a calling, a holy calling. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. There is something that God has called you to. And when He cursed this world, in the curse was a blessing. It was a calling of His Son. Christ would come. A seed born of a virgin, a woman would come. And He would lay this purpose back on us again. And we had a purpose that we lost. It became painful and that work became weary. But when Christ, our Messiah, came, His purpose came and became our purpose. He came to the earth and he said listen come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest take my authority and, and learn from me figure out how to find purpose and meaning in life again I'm going to be that first Adam and die for you and live for what lasts remember think about Jesus I love I love to think about Jesus this way he had such an eternal perspective and I I pray over myself God help me to be this way because I know I'm not Jesus was never in a hurry but he in three years he had to get to the cross there was a deadline and the third Passover Jesus had to die on the cross because it was ordered by God to be such but along the way he's always being interrupted he's always trying to get to here to there and someone's touching him someone's asking him things trying to play he always was busy he had people coming through roofs to get to him. I mean, he was crowded and, and pushed in. He didn't have a home, and yet uh, he always found a way. Sometimes he had to walk on water just to catch up with his schedule, right? But he never seems to be bothered. He never seems to be stressed. In fact, he's sleeping in the middle of a storm. He had a peaceable spirit because he knew he had a purpose, and nothing could distract him from that purpose, he had an identity in who he was, and it didn't matter if they tried to crucify him early. It wasn't going to happen because God said it wasn't going to happen. He had a confidence in his father and what his relationship was with his father, and he would sneak off to be with his father. In the busyness of life, he'd get up at 2, 3 in the morning and spend hours in prayer communicating with the father. He shows you how to live in purpose. He shows you how to live. He worked, and yet he rested. He ate, and yet he fasted. He received, and yet he served. He prayed, and he worshiped. He wept, and yet he loved. These are eternal things. Jesus showed you what it looked like to live in eternity. Everything he says, I'm only doing what I see my Father doing in John 5, 19. Maybe today you're not living with that eternal purpose or calling Maybe you're living on less. You don't know what it means to live for spiritual things, for eternal things. God has given each of you gifts, something to do, a holy calling. And 1 Peter 2.21 says that for this purpose, for this purpose, God has called you to follow in the steps of Christ. Every one of you has a purpose. Every one of you has a calling. Every one of you has gifts. And those gifts and that calling are irrevocable. You can't take it back. It's not something that you've earned or deserved. But what God has called you to do on this earth is a part of a calling He will keep with you for eternity. 
And I have much more I could say on that, but we don't have time. But you, on this side of eternity, need to find your God-given calling and purpose. And it is not just pastors who are called. God has called you for something that he will never take back from you. It's who you are in him. Next is rest. Rest. Anybody say it's hard to relax sometimes? Man, we have back massagers, chair massagers, foot massagers. We've got all kinds of shoulder massagers. We've got things that zap you, you know, uh, just to get you through. We, we go to the mall just to go sit in a chair and pay money to get a massage because we're hard to, we don't need to relax as a society. We're striving to get ahead and our ambition to be better. We end up even destroying our own bodies, our own lives. And Solomon said, in the weariness of work, men should learn to enjoy their life and labor despite the limited time you have under the sun. He says, work hard and sleep well, but even then, as I said, this alone is not enough. You know, from the very beginning, God commanded rest with Adam and Eve on the seventh day. Then He commanded it again with Moses on the mountain to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And why is that? Not only is it for your physical bodies, but it is a foreshadow. It is a sermon. It is a demonstration of some kind of eternal place. Hebrews says that He has prepared for us an eternal rest, an eternal day, an eternal seventh day, an eternal rest. And as He tells you every week, it is a reminder, a foreshadow shadow to look ahead. There is a rest from your weariness. There is a rest from stress. There is something that you need to remember and cultivate in this life. That there's some place that you cannot get yourself to. And so Jesus who said again, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Rest. Maybe you need to rest this morning from trying to be enough. Trying to do enough trying to earn people's favor, trying to earn their love, rest from even trying to be saved. Let me tell you, you can work yourself to death trying to be saved. You have to rest from it because you can't save yourself, you can't heal yourself, you can't make yourself holy, you can't make yourself worthy. That is something that He has to do in you. And one of the greatest lessons I've had to learn in my life is He stop trying and the thing that God wants you really to do is give up and start trusting. Don't be trying, start trusting. We try a lot to be better, and a lot to be better. Oh, I need to stop cussing, I need to stop drinking, I need to stop going around, I need to start listening to Christian music, I need to go to church, I need to pray. That's you, 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 you. But if you would just give up you and let yourself die in that tank and go down into death with Christ, Christ is not going to work on your flesh to make it better. He's done with flesh. Flesh has got to die. And when you realize that you alone have to die, then you begin to rest, my friend, rest in that grave with Him. And then He begins to raise you up to new life and seat you in heavenly places with Him because the only thing God wants to do is use your spirit. He wants to increase your spirit and move you by the Spirit. May you be led by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. Stop trying to be better, build better, gain more, be good enough. If you want to live for what lasts, just the psalmist says, cease striving and know He's God. There is a secret place of rest in the middle of hospital rooms, in the middle of, of, of uh, trying times in a nursing home bed. There's a middle of, uh, in the middle of chaos at the side of an accident. There is a place of rest at that table where you write your bills. There's a place of rest when you don't know how you're going to get through this moment. There's a moment you can breathe in God and say, God, I'm resting in you. I'm trusting in you. It's not by my might, not by my power. It's by your spirit. And so, God, this battle is yours. And, and because I know there is eternal rest for me. I have already received you. You, Jesus, are Lord of the Sabbath, and you are Lord of my rest. 
You should sleep in heavenly peace every night because he's Lord of your rest. Lord of your rest. You want to know what was eternal? We were resting in God before we fell, and you will rest in God for all of eternity. Rest. Now, it's not laziness. Come on. That's rest. There's a difference. Lastly is this, is worship. Worship. Are you with me? Is this good? All right. Number five, the thing that will last in eternity, I think this really goes with the first one, so it kind of makes a circle to me, is worship. Worship is something that began before creation and will continue for eons and eons to come. You know, music even existed in heaven before us, right? Music is something that came from heaven to down to here. In fact, one of the problems we've had is that the fallen worship leader of heaven was the one who tempted us to glorify our own self, just like he did. Isn't that true? He came to earth, saw that we were made in God's image, that we of all creations were made for a special place of worship. We were made in the image of God, meaning we were meant to reflect the glory of God back to God. We were made in his image so that he could look at us and see himself, and that he wouldn't see all this other stuff. He was looking at us as a reflection of his glory, his goodness. We were at the climax of creation. The last thing God made was man and said, it is good, it's finished, this is my special creation, you. And Satan comes and he tempts man, this fallen worship leader of heaven, tempts man to exalt himself above God. We who are made in the image of God, made to be instruments of worship, and that's why, listen to me, that's why you will never be satisfied seeking your own glory, because you are made to reflect His. Man will never be satisfied. Think about all the American idols we create today. We have a whole TV show, American Idols. You know, look, think of all the billions that go into entertainment industry and all the thousands who flock to concerts. And I'm not saying secular music is bad. Listen, but there is something about lifting things up in music. Music is something that moves people. Music is something that tells our emotions, our hate, our love, our feelings, our love, our sadness. And music at the beginning of time was made for him. It was made to tell that love story to him. It was made to reflect our worship of him. So it's no wonder what we've done with it here. But worship is far more than music. Worship at its root word means to bow. It means to bow before him as a king. Worship means to lower yourself and to lift him up. To lift him up. And worship will always be eternal because God is eternal. Remember what Satan did? He says, Satan, uh, Satan comes to Jesus and says, Hey, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all this stuff. And what does Jesus say? He says, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him. What? Only. 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 Worship is reserved for God and God alone. So who are you lifting up? And what are you lifting up? What are you bowing your life to? What are you serving in this life? Jesus tells this woman who thinks if she goes to a certain mountain and worships him over here and has the right translation of the Bible and has the right pedigree, and you know, she's like, I'm, a, I'm, not a, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. Maybe I should just you know, go to this mountain. We have this mountain over here. And he says, uh-uh, God is spirit. And if you want to worship God, you've got to worship him in spirit and in truth. And he is seeking that kind of worshiper. 
He's actively seeking people who are spiritual people who have the truth of Jesus Christ, but are not worshiping with, with hymns versus contemporary or, a, or in a Lutheran or a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a Pentecostal or charismatic or non-denominational. It is not what mountain you're in. It is whether your heart is identified with Him and you say, God, my God, how can you love me? But I love you. I want to reflect that glory back to you. This is my love song to you. And it's not about the words you say. Like I said this morning, just like a parent sings a lullaby over their children or a husband writes a poem for his bride and, and romances her. It is how you want to minister to him. And it's not just with music, it's with your whole position of life. It's not a physical demonstration, but it's a spiritual position. It's a spiritual position of my heart. Lord, you are first in my life. Jesus, I honor you in this part of my life, in this part of my life, and this is worship. Everything I do, may it be worship to you. How I work, how I parent, how I am a husband or a wife, how I, how I do my job, how I walk through this situation. God, I want to do that with an attitude of reverent awe. And this is where Solomon comes to at the very end of Ecclesiastes. <coughs> he said, there's nothing better than to fear God and remember that you will all give an account to him. You can live for all this stuff in this world, but you ought to live for what lasts. And nothing is going to outlast him. Let me tell you what he, what that moment and why, why you should live for a worship that lasts. It's this, because when God so loved the son and the son obeyed the father, God exalted Jesus above, above. Somebody say above. Remember, we're talking about lifting. He is above every name. The Bible says he is the Alpha, he's the Mega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Psalm says he's God. Revelation says he is and he was and he is to come. Colossians says he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Romans says for through him and are from him and through him and to him are all things and his glory is the only glory forever. Forever. I love what Tozer says. He says, You didn't exist before. <laughs> you didn't exist before. And it's only by God's grace you'll exist after. So, how dare you build your life up in between? I didn't make myself. I didn't make myself into be. God created me. He created me in His image. In this temporary vapor we call life. How dare we build ourselves up to think much of ourselves because it's only by God's grace we'll even exist for eternity. Worship God alone. Language, speak the word. Order your life by the word. Purpose yourself to follow the word. Rest in the word and worship only the word. These will last for eternity. Would you stand with me this morning? Live for what lasts. What are you building your life on? What are you confessing? What are you speaking? What is your calling and your purpose? Are you resting in Him? And how is your worship? This morning, maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you on one or a couple of those areas. We can hardly take it all in. But I felt like I needed to just give it all to you this morning so you could understand there is something that God has placed in your heart. There is an eternity in your heart. He has placed eternity in man's heart. And your goal ought to be 
husband and wife, mother and father, man and woman, boy and girl, it ought to be to live for what lasts. What are you chasing after today? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Every, listen, every head bowed, every eye closed in this place right now. What is God speaking to you through his word? What is he calling?